I'm very grateful to be back this morning to share with you all and continue in this series that every day has of looking through the parables of Jesus. And so as we continue in this series, uh, several other of your teachers have cited from uh, Amy Jill Levine's book, Short Stories of Jesus. And you may have already received uh, a paper that uh, gives the Bible verses. Now, I think Larry, when he spoke, cautioned you, don't read ahead. Uh, you can. If you do, that's not the end of the world. I'm not going to give you detention. But that might spoil the story. Now, my family knows that I often spoil the story. I will go onto the internet and look for the ending of a TV series or a movie or a book. I, I turn to the end because I want to know, am I going to be happy at the end of this book. If, if I am going to spend all of these binge hours watching Gilmore Girls, The Return on Netflix, am I going to be really sad at the end because Lorelai and Luke are not together? No spoilers. I don't actually know. So I, I don't want to be sad. But it, it's up to you. If you want to read that paper, you can. But uh, Amy Jill Levine, back, back to, to that professor, she uh, says of this, Jesus knew the best teaching of stories comes with memorable, memorable characters who are both familiar and strange, who play upon our stereotypes even as they confront them. So in a few moments, uh, we'll read, listen uh, about uh, a story with a memorably unforgiving servant, an angry master, and some other scenarios, situations, that Jesus' first century familiars with who, what they would have been familiar with. And as we have for some of the other parables in this series, let's use our 21st century Western imaginations to time travel to first century Middle East. We're the followers of that controversial challenging rabbi, Yeshua of Nazareth, Jesus. And we're seeing him work great miracles. Some are spectacular, like a transfiguration from an ordinary human body into something so supernaturally bright, it must be close to his divine nature. Others are more practical, like he has just healed a self-harming, seizure-induced boy, set him free at the request of his father. With so much of this great power on display, we, who are his longest and most loyal followers, we ask him, what about greatness in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus surprises us by, by telling us we must become like little children. And then Yeshua continues to surprise us because he says that those who harm the little ones or, or, or harm or cause stumbling for anyone, they will receive shocking, surprising, harsh punishments. And then Jesus goes on to tell this story about a crazy shepherd who leaves 99 sheep safe and goes and looks for that one lost sheep. And then, and then after that confusing story, then finally a rabbi teaches us something practical. He teaches us how to settle disputes among ourselves. Because you see, you and I, or, or maybe him and her, or, or you and you, oh, we have been having disputes and clashes. And that's natural whenever a group of people are together, you know, jockeying for a position and place. 
And so after Jesus does that teaching on how to settle disputes, then, of course, since he's already talking about contentious relationships, it's only natural that the most outspoken in our group of followers, well, that's Peter, uh, whose original name is actually Simon. Peter chimes in and asks about forgiveness. So let's, now, now we are long-standing faithful Jews, so we know the traditions of the rabbi that says, forgive your brother three times. So we, we've heard that, and, and oh, let's, let's listen. Let's, let's hear what our rabbi says, what story he tells. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to uh, seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Oh, I'm going to run out of fingers. I can't do that. Okay. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants and who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. And that other servant fell to his knees, and he begged, Be patient with me. And I, I will bring it back. But he refused. Instead, he, that unforgiving servant, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, I canceled your debt, all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how the heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. The Father will treat me like that wicked and unforgiving servant if I don't forgive my brother or sister from my heart? Now, now the part where the king of the universe has grace on me the creator of the whole world takes mercy on me because I have broken the law that, that Jesus on the cross forgives me. I like that part of the story. Why didn't Jesus just end the story there? But then he goes on and says, I must give that same forgiveness and grace and mercy. I must give that 
to my brother and sister. Whoa. Now, that bad guy in Jesus' short story, I could use my imagination as a first century follower of Jesus. You see, because Jesus' first early disciples, all of them, well, except, except maybe Levi, also named Matthew, who was a tax collector, worked in the Jewish slash Roman government, you know, contracted out by, for the Roman government. He, he might have been able to stretch his imagination to 10,000 bags of gold. But, but everybody else that was the ordinary followers of Jesus. They can't even picture 10,000 bags of gold. Now, 100 days, uh, 100 silver coins, that was the equivalent of maybe 100 days wages for a soldier or a working man. Now that, I, as a first century follower of Jesus, I could picture that. That would have been the down payment on the fishing boat that Peter, James, Andrew, and John, the fishermen, might have had to pay for their fishing boat. Or for someone that was a farmer, that might have been a year's worth of rent because the subsistence Middle Eastern farmer didn't own his own land and so would need to buy it from a landowner, rent it from a landowner. So 100 silver coins, that might have been an amount he could picture in his mind. $22,000 worth. So that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that that one servant owed. But I can't even picture $16 billion. I mean, I hear about it, but, but in my mind, I can't even imagine it. Oh, but if I'm a first century disciple, I can imagine someone who would have cheated and defrauded and embezzled 10,000 bags of gold. Herod. Herod would have done that. That corrupt politician, fake self-proclaimed king, technically a uh, Samaritan, a part Jew who worked for the Roman government. I mean, he thought of himself a king, but really because the country was ruled by the Roman Empire, he was actually a client king, a mini king, a puppet king under the Roman Empire. He, if I'm using my imagination, I hear Jesus' story about a servant that owes 10,000 talents. Maybe I picture Herod or, or one of Herod's family members. You see the Herod family, that's his last name. A whole bunch of these corrupt people who keep defrauding the government. They're all part of this one family. Uh, that I can picture. That I can imagine. But then Jesus says, I'm like that. Jesus says, I need to be careful lest I become like Herod. And that, and that if I'm not forgiving, I might wind up punished. Like I want Herod to be punished. I can't imagine that Jesus is saying that to me. I'm his loyal follower. My imagination doesn't stretch that far. Well, speaking of imagination, to time travel back here to everyday church, uh, one of the other uh, Christian scholars that has helped the teachers in their preparation of the parables message, a fellow named Scott McKnight, he says, our power our imagination is the power to open us up to new possibilities, to discover new ways of seeing. Imagine a world like this, Jesus says, when he tells a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Imagine a world like this. Maybe if, if you and I use our modern imaginations to place ourselves into that story that Jesus told, uh, maybe that will... Help us feel it 
better. I'm going to put a little footnote here that wasn't in the manuscript I gave to the translator. What I'm saying now, please don't take that as a particular commentary in one direction or another. But I wanted to use a current political topic. So uh, let me read a retelling. And again, this is only my version, so it is not divine or sacred or anything. But the country of heaven is like a president who wanted to balance the budget. The IRS audited a notorious reality TV show real estate developer, and his now public tax returns showed he owed the government $16 billion. The president sentenced him to bankruptcy in prison, but the reality TV show real estate developer begged for mercy. The president took pity on him and pardoned him. But that reality TV show real estate developer, he found one of his tenants that owed $23,000 in rent for the bodega that she, ran, that she ran in one of his many buildings in the big city. Now, she begged that reality TV show real estate developer for more time, an installment plan to pay back on her rent till the economy came back. But that heartless reality TV show real estate developer had her thrown in jail and closed the bodega. When the press found out about that cruel reality TV show real estate developer, they posted it to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and ran banner headlines on the news and special reports. And then the president arrested that reality TV show real estate developer and said to him, you wicked corporate mogul, you wolf of Wall Street, I pardoned you because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow business owner just as I had on you? And the angry president sent him to Guantanamo Bay till he could be tortured and pay back the full $16 million. Yes, I like that version much better. That unforgiving billionaire got what he deserved. I can imagine that. Except Jesus says, I might be more like that heartless billionaire or King Herod. He says, Alex, be careful. If you're not forgiving, you're actually just like him. That Bible verse that said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What if Jesus wants us to imagine a world where unforgiving people are sinners just as much as the more obvious sinners? What if Jesus wants us to imagine a world where those who withhold grace and mercy and are judgmental, those are the people who are punished and not simply the people that break the state penal code? Everyday's teachers have shared about the power, the uplifting power of imagination. But we all recognize that imagination has a darker side. Like Larry, I'm a, a sci-fi and fantasy fan. But there are other genres that use our imagination, aren't there? The horror genre is probably the one that plays on our imagination the most. And as an adolescent growing up, yeah, the Friday the 13th series. And what was that about? It was about dreams coming real.
in the form of a serial murderer. You know, back to sci-fi and fantasy, because like Larry, I, I, we share uh, a fa- one of our favorite authors, the Lord of the Rings series, J.R.R. Tolkien, and um, his imagination is just so powerful of wizards and hobbits doing great things, but there are also some terrifying parts to the Lord of the Rings. And, and the power of the one ring to fool to use the imagination of Bilbo and Frodo and twist them, or the power of the Palantir to give a false vision. If you've not read Lord of the Rings, I hope I haven't done too many spoilers. Let, let me change gears. C.S. Lewis is my, is my next, is, is my tide for favorite author. And like his close friend, Tolkien, because they were professors together and met together as a group called the Inklings, both of them were veterans and wounded survivors of World War I. So when either of them writes about imagination, they can think about PTSD and post-trauma stress disorder, of what a veteran would have felt like in the trenches of World War I. And so C.S. Lewis writes this in his classic, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's about a dark island from which the adventurous crew of the Dawn Treader has rescued a fellow named Lord Roop. And their panic escape from the dark island because Lord Roop says, this island is where dreams come true. And at first, the crew is excited about that. They think, oh, wow, this would be great. And that's what's in the book. And then there's this phrase where after about 30 seconds, they all scramble back to the boat because they remember certain dreams they had. Dreams that make you afraid of going to sleep again and to realize what it would be like to land on a country where dreams came true. You see, Jesus' short stories are shocking and surprising and disturbing. That's the word that Amy Jill Levine uses, disturbing, the disturbing stories of Jesus. Because God's country is not the same as our current world. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Until that last statement, we were saying we liked Jesus' short story. Until that last turnabout. You see, I want to be the the little gal, the heroine that's fighting against the oppressor. But Jesus says, I need to be careful. I'm going to actually be the bad guy in this story. I might mispronounce this. M. Night... Shyamalan, his movies are known for their shock endings, their surprise turnabouts in that last one minute, the spoilers. So, uh, The Sixth Sense, The Village, I won't give away any of those endings. And that way, he's a lot like Alfred Hitchcock, who he cites as one of his influences. Because Hitchcock did that as well, where in the last five minutes of the movie, everything you thought you knew the two hours before would change. Amy Levine warns, in her short stories of Jesus. We want to be the heroine. We want to be the good gal, but too often, too often I'm not. When it comes to forgiveness, I don't forgive. Now, now I could excuse, maybe, maybe my lack of forgiveness is because of my Filipino background, because we're the country that always loses the wars. We were occupied and colonized by China and then Spain and the United States. We're the ones that are short and not very athletic, so we don't become famous ballplayers. They make fun of our food because it smells too much of garlic and soy sauce. And 
So my people have been oppressed and persecuted and cut out. So maybe that's why I shouldn't be forgiving. Because I've been mugged in the subways of New York City. And I got passed over for a job I should have had, maybe because of my color. So maybe I don't have to be for. Maybe that's why I struggle with forgiving. Or, or, or maybe I struggle with forgiveness because... Are, do any of you do the Enneagram? Or, or, or maybe, or maybe Myers-Briggs type indicator? Or, or, or even the Harry Potter sorting hat? You know. <laughs> Whatever personality test it is you choose to use, maybe it's my inborn, nurtured personality. That's why I'm not able to forgive. You see, Enneagram 5s, I'm a 5. Enneagram 5s, one of our diagnoses is that we're hoarders, we're greedy, not necessarily for money, but for emotion and time and affection. So, so maybe that's why I'm not forgiving. Maybe that's why I keep track of wrongs. To misquote the early Christian leader Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe I, that's why I can't forgive. But Jesus teaches me to forgive. Months before Jesus told this story about the unforgiving billionaire in the middle of what many people call his Sermon on the Mount, right after he taught us about the Lord's Prayer that includes the phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. At the very end of that teaching part, in the middle of his most famous sermon, Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Scholars on the parables, uh, Amy Levine, Scott McKnight, they, they emphasize that we should enter with open minds and let the parables speak for themselves. Let our imagination give the own application. But Jesus doesn't leave us much wiggle room on this, does he? He's pretty blunt. Whether we imagine ourselves as a first century servant king who wasted 10,000 bags of gold or a modern day reality TV show real estate developer, Jesus says, that's me. That could be me. Or that could be you if we're not forgiving. Forgive. My apologies, even though we've tried to do other languages today. Perdonan. Forgive. Perdonan. Who will I forgive this week? Who will you forgive this week? We close today's teaching time with some reflection. Now, this is not formally what some might call Lectio Divina meditation, but, but something similar. During these next few moments, uh, in a little bit, we'll have an audio being played. But during these next few moments... Feel with your heart, your emotions. Feel the relief and the peace, the letting go when you know you've been forgiven. When someone in your family or your workplace or at your school or whatever social circle you're in has extended you mercy and grace and forgiveness.
has withheld judgment when they could have, taken away penalty when you deserved it. What does that feel like? That peace that passes understanding. Let the stillness of Holy Spirit immerse you. Hear Jesus whisper, I forgive you. In this thin place, picture, imagine in your mind, maybe, maybe it's that feeling of forgiveness, or maybe, maybe picture someone whom you need to forgive, someone with whom you can share grace and mercy and forgiveness.